Uh, if you've been with us for a little while, you'll know that we've been doing this. If this is your first time with us, welcome to Life Church. My name is Tim. I get to be one of the pastors here at the church. My wife Sharon is in the back. We are the co-pastors of Life Church, uh, and we have been on a journey through the book of Ephesians. And today, we are going to not only kickstart but get most of the way through the third chapter of Ephesians. I told you when we started this series that our goal is to get through chapter 3 before the holidays hit. So we're actually doing pretty good. We're going to take a little bit of a break before we jump back into the rest of this book at some point in the new year. Uh, but would you look with me, uh, again, like I said, it's on the screen there. If you have a Bible with you, you can read along in your own Bible. Uh, I hope that you have one. If you don't, let us know. We'll get you one. Uh, it's good that you have a paper Bible that you can, you can mark in and you know, highlight, and hopefully God says stuff to you as you write in the margins and fill it up, and then you have to get a new Bible. That's fun. Um, Anyway, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 says, this is Paul writing to the Christians in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, rather. Uh, he says, for this reason, and by the way, for this reason, just so you know what he's doing here, he's, he's, he's doing a, a pause to do a recap. He's, he's like pausing in the middle of a really long lecture to do a, re, a review of everything that he has said. So he says, for this reason, what reason? Well, read the last two chapters. Come to church for the last several months and you, and you would have found out. But for this reason, I, Paul, he's so committed to this recap and review, he's reintroducing himself right in the middle of the book, right? Just in case you forgot who was talking all this time. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Uh, you'll probably notice there that word spirit is, is capitalized. That means he's referring to the Holy Spirit of God, not the spirit of man. Pick it up in verse 6. The Gentiles, Gentiles is a word which means everyone who's not Jewish by, uh, by bloodline. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Now, we're about halfway done with our reading for the, the, the morning. If you're lost already, don't worry. That's why I'm preaching this sermon, but we're going to keep on going. All right, pick it back up in verse 8, and it says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. That's a good phrase. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident, and confident access through faith in him. So then... I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. As is the norm for Paul, he just said a ton in those 
13 verses. So we're going to walk through those and see what we can learn today. Um, and, and really, what Paul is doing, as I've said a moment ago, is he's giving us a recap over the last couple of chapters worth. Now, when he wrote the Ephesian letter, he was just writing a letter. He wasn't marking the verses and the chapters. He was just writing a letter to the Christians. He called them the faithful saints in the city of Ephesus. These were people who were living in a culture and in a society where there were all kinds of distractions, all kinds of other religions and, and temptations to be pulled away from their faith in Jesus Christ as the one true God and to, to worship other gods. There was all kinds of witchcraft. It was a very wealthy community. So if it wasn't being pulled away by false religions, it was being pulled away by things like the love of money. Hey, you could get rich in Ephesus. You could, you could actually go from Ephesus and see the world. Or In fact, the world was coming to you. In a lot of ways, it feels like living in America in 2021. There's all kinds of other stuff going on, all kinds of other opportunities. The world is all around us. You have the world in your pocket very often. And if you don't get out to the world, the world will just come right to you on a screen. There are all kinds of other things pulling at our attention, pulling at our trust in God, pulling at our hope and our faith. And Paul, for two chapters worth of a letter, has been preaching to them about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and at just about the halfway mark of this letter to his friends in the city of Ephesus, Paul pauses and says, just in case you have forgotten the conversation I'm having with you in this letter, let me recap. And one of the ways that he chooses to do that is by introducing a brand new word into his discourse. He uses the word mystery. I don't know if you noticed it as I was reading this text to you, but in the, in the course of these 13 verses, Paul uses the word mystery, or at least it, in our translation, it's the word mystery. Uh, he uses that word three different times. In verse 3, he says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. In verse 4, by reading this, by reading this letter, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then in verse 9, we'll pick it up just for context. In verse 8, it says, the grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the, to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Now, the, the Greek word that Paul is using here is the word mysterion. You can see how we get the word mystery from that. But I, I want to I make sure that you understand that, that this word mysterion is not mystery like when you used to play that game Clue as a kid, and the goal of that was if you can find all of the different hints and clues, that's why they named it Clue, it wasn't very creative, but if you could find all of the clues, then you would know the mystery. You would be able to solve the mystery, and that's how you would win the game, if you could uncover the mystery. But mysterion is a different kind of word. It doesn't mean if you do the right work, you can under, uncover the mystery and understand the reality that's been hidden from everybody. Mysterion is the kind of mystery or secret that can only be accessed if it is revealed by some kind of initiating or revealing event. Paul's implication here is that there is a truth or a secret that has been hidden from all generations or covered from all generations up until a certain point when it was not discovered by man but revealed to man by a very specific event and that revealing event or that initiating event for the mystery to be revealed was the death 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross and on the third day he rose from the dead. And when he did that, he fulfilled the old covenant and established a brand new covenant. And as he established a new covenant, all of a sudden, mankind was able to understand or see or have revealed for them a mystery. The implication of this word that the original audience would have understood is when he said mysterion three times, they would have understood Paul is really driving this point home. We are to understand that we did not earn our understanding about the gospel. It was gifted to us. That's a really important distinction to make so that we understand what Paul is talking about. I believe that Paul is making three claims here with this word mysterion. Number one, that this mystery was made known specifically to him. You remember that in verse 3, this mystery was made known by the revelation. Uh, he's referring to his own conversion experience. If you know anything about Paul, he actually used to go by the name Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a good Jew, and as a good Jew... He hated the Christians. He hated the followers of Jesus, and he set about on a life mission to kill as many, to arrest as many Christians as he possibly could. One day he's on a horse, on a road with some friends, and Jesus shows up on the road, like a physical appearance of the resurrected Christ shows up on the road, and he has a conversion experience in that moment. He's saying the, the mystery was revealed to me. He thought he was living the perfect, faithful life, and God revealed to him the true mystery, the, the real secret of the way God was uh, changing the world or saving the world, rather. I think the second thing that Paul is saying here in this word mysterion is that this very letter, Ephesians, that he's writing can be used as a resource to reveal this mystery to other people. In other words, he's saying, don't keep this in your pocket. This letter is helpful for you so that you can understand the gospel. But why would he need to say that to people he already claims understand the gospel? It's really interesting. Actually, it's an interesting nuance about this moment that Paul is saying, hey, don't just come to church. Go and be the church. See, this letter is, is going to help you understand what you already understand, but why would you need to really understand something that has been specially revealed by God that you already understand? What's the point of sending that letter? Unless you're supposed to use that letter to share and maybe reveal this mysterion to other people. This is the first time that Paul actually hints at his greater meaning here in this, uh, this moment of recapping what he's written so far. He, he's, he's saying, I've given you a bunch of clues, a bunch of insights into what has been gifted to you. Would you go and make sure that you don't keep that to yourself? And then I think the third thing that Paul is saying here is that this mystery was given, and he drills down here, let me even double down on this, so that it would be shared by others because he says that this was given to Jews and Gentiles alike. This is not the first time that he said this. In fact, just a couple of Sundays ago, we were talking about this very thing, that the, that the gospel is the power that unifies us first to each other and then also, well, first to God and then also to each other. But he's saying that, uh, that, that even though he is the least of all the saints, he's saying, I'm not even worthy to do this work, but I am here to proclaim to the Gentiles, those who are outside of the, the first covenant group of people, the Jews, I'm here to proclaim the gospel, the good news 
of the incalculable riches of God to others. Again, he's saying, please don't think this is just for you, right? So Paul caps, uh, recaps the last few chapters by doing this pause to highlight. But the question is, and, and this was the question that I had as I come to, to prepare a sermon on this, is, Paul, why are you doing this? Why in the middle of a really good rhythm? I mean, you were, you were just trucking along, like saying some really dynamic stuff, and then er, pump the brakes, let me reintroduce myself, recap everything. Paul, why do you feel the need? Well, it's a great gift to a preacher who's been preaching through a book for a few months because it's a great opportunity to remind you why in the world we started studying this book in the first place, right? And, and, if, you, and if you're just joining us now in the middle of a series and you're, you're thinking, oh, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to pay that much attention today because I, just, I wasn't here for the whole first half of it. Well, Paul knew that you would show up, and so he's doing us all a solid by giving us a recap. So that's, I think, on the surface, a good opportunity. Paul knows himself. He knows that he is a very wordy guy, and so he, he knows and you might need a, a little bit of a refresher, a little bit of a reminder, because we have already covered so much ground. One, one thing I, I would like to make clear, though, is that I don't think that Paul is doing this to come off as arrogant or to make himself look good or to feel good. That's not why he's writing this letter. I don't think it's why he's pausing in the middle to remind you of all the amazing things that he's already said. I think that Paul understood that being a steward of this great mystery, it was a humbling role for him. In fact, he's really clear about that in verse 8 when he calls himself the least of all the saints. So he took all of the Christians, all, everybody who has ever put their faith in Christ, and Paul says, I'm going to go one notch lower than them. That's who I am. Now, Paul had good physical reason to make an argument for that. I mean, how many Christians have you killed? Right? Paul has a solid argument if you want to go just look at the flesh. But I think Paul's actually saying something deeper here. I think he's actually saying, you remember when Jesus said, if you want to be first, you'll be last? If you want to be the ruler of anyone, you'll be the servant of everyone. I think Paul is actually modeling what that looks like for us. This is what it looks like for a human person who's given great leadership authority to be able to say to us, this is, this is what it looks like for us to say, I am going to lead you by serving you. And I'm going to say that by going low. I think this is a freebie that Paul gives to us, but I want you to understand that Paul is not doing any of this so that you feel put down, or he's not punching down on the Christians by saying, I'm the apostle, the great leader, I'm Paul, look how much of the Bible I've written, you definitely have to, you know, respect and honor me, and you better give me some praise, and, and all. he's not doing any of that. Paul was giving a lot of the praise, to, well, he's giving all of the praise to God, he's actually giving a surprising amount of praise away to the church, Right? And one of the ways that he does that is he, he makes sure he positions himself as the, the least of the saints. Paul is not trying to emphasize his importance. He's trying to emphasize the importance of his message. But Paul wants his readers to remember that this good news is actually special. This is, uh, after all, a secret that has been revealed after generations 
but it's not a secret anymore. It's, it's been uncovered. It's been, it, it's been given to us as a free gift. And, and Paul is trying to say, hey, I know that you've been faithful, saints in Ephesus. Life Church, I know that you survived 2020. Good job. I know that 2021 is almost over and you're just beginning to process what happened in 2020. And one day maybe you'll catch up emotionally to all of the things that have happened in the last 18 months. And you've made it. And there's a certain degree at which we want to go, hey, faithful saints of Life Church, give yourself a pat on the back. Well done done, good and faithful servants, but don't forget just how special it is that you know Jesus. This is is not just an endurance for the sake of being able to say, look at what I've endured. No, we endure because the gospel is that good. Let's not forget how exciting it is to know and be known by the Savior of the world. This is exciting news, and it should always feel exciting and fresh. This is what Paul is wanting us to understand. Remember, don't forget. Remember just a few weeks ago, Paul is saying, don't forget where you came from. Do you remember how jacked up you were before you met Jesus? You, you remember? You remember all that stuff that you wish that nobody knew that you did before you knew Jesus? Do you remember all that stuff that you still did after you met Jesus and he loved you anyway? Don't forget how special it is that you know Jesus. I think the, I think the real question is not why is Paul writing this, but are you living this? Or are you living like the good news of Jesus is still a secret? Or, or are you living like the good news of Jesus is eh, not that special anymore? I, I once, I, I, this is when I was a young pastor. I was uh, in this church. I was standing out in the foyer, and I confess, I should have been in the sanctuary listening to this sermon, but I was, I was very important at that moment. You just don't understand how important I was. And I had to be in the foyer. And, uh, and I had this really interesting encounter. Oh, that was a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> it was a hilarious joke. Um, anyway, I was standing out in the, in the foyer, and I had this encounter with a woman who was walking out of the church. Our pastor at the time was introducing something new. It was called the soap model. Uh, he was just teaching the church how to do devotions. And the soap model is like find a scripture, write an observation about that one scripture, write an application about that one scripture, about how you're going to apply that to your life, and then write a prayer. And you can do that in a journal, SOAP, Scripture Observation Application Prayer. And we were all excited about this really cool, easy on-ramp into Bible study. And so we were teaching the whole church about it, right? And so I'm standing out there being really important, and this woman comes out, and, uh, and, and I was struck by her, her pace at which she was leaving the church. And, uh, and it was in the middle of the sermon. And I, I, I said, hey, how, how's it going? And she's like, good, I'm going to head out today. And I, I was like, oh, what, oh, are, you, are you okay? Did something go on? Is there anything I could be praying about? Um, and, and she said to me, she said, well, this is really foundational stuff. And I am so far beyond that kind of Bible study that this service just ended up being a waste of my time. So I'm going to go home. Uh, and, and maybe I'll find a church where I'll be challenged. And I walked out to her car with her all the way, trying to convince her, like, well, this is really exciting, and we're doing this so that the new folks can get into the Word. And, and she didn't want to hear it, and she left. And on the way in, the Lord convicted me 
as I was begging for a woman to stay at the church because she felt too mature for reading the Bible the way we were encouraging people to read the Bible, the Lord was convicting me, you're kind of doing the same thing, standing out there being all important. The next Sunday, I sat on the front row with a journal <laughs> and just took notes, right? Because I, 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 I had to learn the lesson. This, so, so that story was about me, not that woman. Um, it, it is incredible how easy it is for us to think that we have graduated beyond the foundational stuff, and now I really need to learn. Tell me about your eschatology, Pastor. Well, how's your... Walk me through your exegesis process as you prepare your sermon. Do you love Jesus? I've lived through 2020. I know the answer. Most of the time is no. I'm not as good at that as I want to be. Paul is reminding me, hey, don't get caught up in how far you think you have come. Don't forget how far you have come, but don't get so caught up in how far you think you've come that this gospel that was once the life-changing power of the blood in the name of Jesus just becomes a thing that you do once a week for an hour. You better not go an hour and a half. I have lunch plans and the Dodgers are in the playoffs. I mean, they won last night. They have an off day, right? Okay, I can preach as long as I want. Good. Basketball season has not started yet. <laughs> that sermon illustration will be for me in the summertime when the Lakers are winning a championship. I said that. I said that. Paul is telling us, look, for everything that I have done, everything that I've experienced, this gospel and getting to share it with you is the greatest thing about my life. Right? Listen to how Paul explains this idea. Listen again, starting in verse 8. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. Homeboy wrote most of the New Testament, the least of all the saints. This grace was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles of the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden in ages, for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may, be, may now be made known through the church to the, through who? Through who? The church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul makes two things clear here. Number one, this was God's master plan all along. Paul had nothing to do with this. He just is along for a really cool ride. Right? And number two, this grace or this call to share the gospel or the good news about Jesus is not limited to himself. This plan is not to be spread through Paul. It is meant to be spread through the church of which Paul is just one member, right? So what does that mean? Get to work, right? We, we see that, that Paul places him lower than all the Christians and says, hey, at the guy, as the guy at the bottom, this should, this should be embarrassing for us. I'm the lowest of all the saints. I wrote most of the New Testament. I wrote, I wrote, most of the New Testament, but I'm the lowest of all of the saints. How many churches have you planted? This, this should motivate us. 
right? Oh, the least of us is the best of us? Yeah, this should definitely motivate us. Yes, Paul had a unique calling in human history, but sharing the gospel and making disciples was not made to be Paul's unique calling, right? That is a calling for all of us. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. What are some of the things that Jesus has commanded you? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. What should you teach those new disciples that are, are falling in love with Jesus? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And then along the way, he says, I'm going to be with you always. Don't, don't worry about that. Like, I'm not leaving, but this is your job. Right? This is how the gospel got down to you from generation of disciple to generation of disciple to generation of disciple and on and on and on around the world until you met Jesus in whatever city you were in when you heard the gospel is because somebody way back then did the Great Commission and then somebody else taught them to do the Great Commission and then they went and, and did the Great Commission and then they went and did the Great Commission and on and on and on until it got to you. And the question is, what are you doing with this great mystery that has been revealed to you, not by your works, but like a mysterion that could only be revealed to you because God loves you that much. He must think you're very special. But what are you doing with this good news? Every disciple who is taught is required to teach. So in Paul's recap, he's making sure that we hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we hold it as a high value, and he's hinting at, or maybe shoving it down our throats, our responsibility to share the gospel with other people. But wait, there's more. So far in this letter, in, in what we call two chapters, Paul has taken every opportunity to remind his readers of the benefits of the gospel. I don't know if you've noticed a theme, but in all my sermons during this book, we get to a point where, Paul say, where we say, and now Paul tells us the benefits of the gospel. Or Paul tells us the benefits of living this way. And he, he makes the same thing happen here. In verse 12, he says, in him we have, who's him? In Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So because you have faith in Jesus, you have boldness and you have confident access to God because of your faith in Jesus. That's a pretty good benefit. Not only is Paul saying, hey, you should continually and constantly lose your mind about how good it is that you know Jesus, and you should share that with people all of the time, but don't remember, you get access into the presence of God. That's a pretty solid benefit. Just to break this down historically, before Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, only the Jewish high priest could enter into God's presence, and he could only do it once a year. And when he did it, they tied a rope around his waist, and they put a bell on that rope, and then he walked in behind the curtain, behind the veil, and he, he walked in there to make the sacrifices one time a year, and they put a, a bell on there so that they could hear the bell, you know, jingle jangling every time that he moved around and then if the bell stopped making bell noises and they and it was accompanied with like a thud noise they were thankful for the rope 
time to get a new high priest. Got to get a new one. I mean, you ever see a sign that says, like, hey, don't run down these stairs? You know why they put that sign there? It's because some idiot ran down that stair. Right? You, so why did they put the, the rope around and the bell on? Because some dude walked in being the high priest, unworthy to be in God's presence, and died. Right? I mean, I hate to be the next high priest. <laughs> I mean, although you're going to know that guy's worthy. You're going to know that guy took care of his business, right? I'm so glad this is not the system anymore. (laughs) Jesus, it says in Mark 15, in the moment that he willfully, freely gave his life up for us, it says he let out a loud cry and he breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple, that, that barrier, the veil, that kept God's holy presence that killed people who were unworthy to be in his presence, that kept, the, that kept it in there, that curtain was torn into from, notice this, from top to bottom. Strategically, on purpose, to let you know God did that. And in that moment, the presence of God flooded the earth, and now we all get to enter into the presence of God at will. At our will, because God said, it's my will that you would be in my presence. Now it's dependent on your will. So we can all enter into the presence of God. By the way, the the Bible makes this clear. We get to do this because we do have a high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, not just a high priest, a great high priest, this is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So we have boldness because the veil was torn. We have a new high priest. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So a benefit that Paul wants us to understand is that a life with God is exactly that. It is a life with God in the presence of God. And we get to have boldness and confident access into God's presence because of what he has done for us. And I think that there is something incredibly significant here. And Paul is telling us that the benefit of God's mystery being revealed to us is free access into God's presence. It is important that we don't just skim over that idea particularly in light of our Western evangelical ethos or culture, which tells us that God exists to satisfy us with his great works rather than teaching us to be satisfied in his presence. Western church culture has a way of reducing God, the the infinite God and creator of the universe, into nothing more than uh, what Sky Jathani calls a divine gum machine. It's important that we don't read God's word or Paul's words here that say that we have boldness and confident access into the presence of God <clears throat> and think something like, oh, that's nice, and then just move on. I believe that that thought simply does not go far enough in expressing the greatness of the gift that is God's presence. 
On the other hand, it matters that we don't read Paul's words and think something like, oh, I guess that means I can use this access to get from God anything that I want. Because that thought just goes simply too far. It cheapens the gift of God's presence into a means to an end for personal gain or comfort. I mentioned a, a guy named Sky Jathani a, a moment ago in his book called With, Reimagining the Way That You Relate to God. He wrote, life with God is different because its goal is not to use God. Its goal is God. Well, it's important that you take time to think about this gift from Ephesians 3.12. Listen to it again. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Thank you, Jesus. Sky Jathani also writes, The call to live in continual communion with God means that every person's life, no matter how mundane, is elevated to sacred heights. Paul models what it looks like for us to go low and to be the least of all because we need to be humble people. But let's not forget that Jesus, being called sons and daughters of the Most High God, elevates our life to something that is incredibly, profoundly significant. That alone should drive us to praise and worship and perhaps even to sharing the good news about Jesus. Hear this. God loves you with an everlasting love. He welcomes you into his presence, and he promises to never leave you or abandon you. This should give us hope. This, this should give us incredible joy in, in the middle of everything that we're facing. And this, by the way, sets us up for how Paul begins to land the plane. In, in, this, in this final idea that Paul has, we'll, we'll jump into verse 13, Paul offers us a, a charge, or, or I might even call it a plea. He pleads with us. In verse 13, he says, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. By the way, the, just for context, the afflictions that Paul is referring to here is that uh, he was in prison in Rome. The reason he was in prison in Rome is because he was worshiping. He, remember, he grew up a good Jewish boy, and so so he actually went into the temple and practiced a Jewish ritual with some friends of his. And there were some people around that were looking for an excuse to get rid of Paul. They hated Paul. And so they made up a lie that one of the people that they brought into the Jewish temple was actually of Greek descent, which was, according to Jewish law, completely illegal. So they made up this lie, and then they started a riot, and then they got Paul arrested. He is in lockdown in Rome while he writes this letter to the Christian, to the saints in the city of Ephesus. And just for the record, this was now Paul's third time being arrested for preaching the gospel. And yet, he's telling the Ephesian Christians to not be discouraged because he's in prison. And I, I think that there are two lessons here. Number one, when it looks like trials are pressing in on the hope of the gospel, don't lose heart. Can we just get old school church for a second and just look at a neighbor and say, don't lose heart? Just do that for a second. It's going to make you feel good to tell somebody else, don't lose heart. 
The, the loss of, of hope is actually a recurring theme for God's people. The Israelites lost hope in the, in, in the wilderness. The disciples lost hope when Jesus died. The church struggled with hope when the apostle Paul was in prison. That's why he tells them not to lose hope. And, you know, then 2020 happened and we all lost hope. This, this is not a new thing. This is why we can see, we can relate to what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 3. When we place our, our, our hope and our faith in Jesus, you, you remember when you first did that? Your hope felt massive. Nothing could stop you, right? Feels like everything is full of possibilities. We, we really relate to, to Peter when he responded, when Jesus responded to his declaration of faith. Jesus turns around and looks at Peter and he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And we're like, yeah, that's me. That's going to be my life. The power of hell cannot prevail against me. And then you're a Christian for five years, and you don't get 12 of your prayers answered, and you're still struggling financially, and that friend abandons you, and, you know, your spouse is, you know... I mean, I didn't relate to that last one, but <laughs> saved it. I saved it. Yeah. <laughs> the point is that over time, our hope tends to shrink. It tends to wane. It tends to get weary, right? You see something like an apostle getting thrown in prison and you're like, oh no, what is going to happen now, right? Or, you know, like a global pandemic or race riots or a presidential election, apparently that's cause for everyone to lose their minds and, and hope. Paul seems to see hope declining. He, he, it's, it's almost like he saw it coming and, and he says, please don't be discouraged. It's like he knows the human condition. He writes a similar encouragement to the church in Galatia. In Galatians 6, 9, he says, let us not grow weary in doing good. Do you know why he says that? Because people suck. And doing good is people work. So don't grow weary in doing good. <laughs> if you didn't know you could say that in church, I'm still not convinced that you can, but I did say it. But here's what he says at the end of Galatians 6, 9. He says, for in due season you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What Paul is not saying is that there won't be difficult times. If somebody preached to you a sermon that says if you just believe in Jesus hard enough, all of the trials will go away, they lied to you. In fact, I go, to say, go so far to say is that that's called heresy. That is not the gospel. That's, that's not what Scripture teaches. Paul is saying, though, that there is a future harvest, and God will determine when that harvest is, and he'll determine what that harvest looks like. That's for him. Your job is to hold fast to the hope that is in you. So if our outlook or if our hope is dependent on what you can see with your eyes, of course you're going to lose hope. But if your outlook is set on Jesus, then nothing will be able to shake your hope or your joy or your confidence or your peace. So Paul wants us to hold on to our hope when things look bleak. Why? Because he knows things often look bleak. But Jesus. And then the second lesson is this, to thank God for those who faced trials for your freedom. Paul was not bragging about being in prison on behalf of the gospel. 
He, he was not trying to tip his hat. He was also not looking for pity. He was not fishing for compliments. But he did want them to know that he was in prison in part on their behalf. I have been imprisoned. I have given up freedom so that I could preach the gospel. I don't need you to feel bad for me about that. Paul's not saying, don't, don't send me compliments so that you feel better about how I'm in prison on your... But don't, let's not play that game, but I want you to feel honored and I want you to feel inspired. Right? Be inspired to go and share. Be like Paul to, to share what has been revealed to you with others. Learn from his example. Man, Paul went all out. You should also go all out, even if it means you give up some of your freedoms to do it. And you should be honored in knowing that Paul was putting his life on the line so that they could hear the gospel. That's what he wanted the church in Ephesus to understand. I believe Paul was worried that the Christians in Ephesus would hear of his imprisonment and be or discouraged and afraid, and that they would give up on their own commitment to the gospel. And I believe that he was hoping that they would share their hope, even if it cost them everything. In other words... Paul was saying, please understand that I gave up my freedoms, not so you would thank me, but so you would follow me. After all, Paul is the one who wrote the words, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was not setting up a hierarchy. He was setting an example. Now, there's another interesting element. We're almost done here, but this is very, very important. There's another interesting element here in verse 12. Paul goes so far as to say this. I ask you that you would not be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, and then, and then in my Bible, I just underlined this. For they are your glory. For what are your glory? Paul's afflictions are your glory. That's what he's saying to the church in Ephesus, right? Paul's trials were the glory of the Christians in Ephesus. Knowing that someone would face trials for our freedom should make us feel incredibly special, right? Put this in a very earthly, practical uh, example. If you know somebody that went to war and said, I'm, I'm going to fight a war for your freedom, that would make you feel very special. God says, I fought the ultimate war for your freedom. And Paul says, I followed Jesus' example so that you could be set free. Paul's trials for the Ephesian church were a sign, not of his greatness, but of their value. And, and I would just say this, and, and I was so thankful that this is, is in this sermon today because I, I want to say this to you, Life Church. And by the way, if you're visiting with us today, or if you're new with us today, I hope that there would be a, a leader who would say this to you as well. But my hope as one of the pastors here, and I, could, I know I could say this on behalf of our entire pastoral team, I hope that my leadership here would model the same thing. I hope that, the, that you would understand, not to feel pity, and I'm not fishing for compliments. Despite the fact that it is Pastoral Appreciation Month, and somebody gave me a, a mug this morning that said, be careful what you say, otherwise you will end up in a sermon. <laughs> That's a great mug. But I'm not fishing for pity or compliments, but I do want you to understand, this has been the hardest year it has ever been to be a pastor. The last 18 months has been the hardest it's ever been. Uh, it's been incredibly difficult. I have not gone to prison. It's not prison hard, but this has been hard. I, I want to confess to you publicly that I am among the list of pastors that have woken up from dreams of what a life would look like where I am not pastoring because it's been that hard. Whew. 
Do you know that 70% of pastors in America are actively looking for other work right now? It has been hard. And I'm not the only one it's been hard for, otherwise that statistic wouldn't be real. It has been hard for my tribe. But you know why we do it? Because you are worth it. Because you coming alive like we have experienced Christ bringing us alive is worth giving up freedom so that maybe you could be set free. That's why we do it. That's why it's worth it. This has been the hardest year, but I could say our church is healthier than we have ever been. Because we kept our focus on Jesus and Life Church. Well done. We haven't made it, but we're making it. We're not done, but we're getting there. We have not quit. You have not given up on your hope. Thank you for making it worth the pain, but it has been painful. And my hope is that your awareness that it has been hard, harder than it has ever been. I know I'm going prematurely gray, but I have more gray hair because of 2020 than I think I should. But we endured this season for you. I did not do this for myself. If I was looking for comfort, I would have pieced out in like July of 2020. I would have left when a lot of other people were leaving if I was interested in comfort. And I think that's why you're here too, because you're not interested in comfort, you're interested in Jesus. But I want you to understand I would do it all again for you and for the ones that left because you're worth it to Jesus and therefore also to me. You're special. Jesus loves you that much. Paul loved the church in Ephesus that much. I love you that much. I am not asking you for a medal. Neither was Paul. No one's asking for a trophy here. We're not, we're not fishing for accolades. He's looking for the church to understand their personal value. I hope you feel the weight of this moment. You matter so much. And it have, if it had cost me more, I still would have given nothing compared to what Jesus gave. But I would give double what I gave for you to come alive. You matter. Let that mean something. Do you, know, do you know how you could honor me this Pastor Appreciation Month? You know how you could honor me the, the best? I don't even need to see it, but you could honor me if you go and you take what you learn here and you share it with somebody out there. If you let this change your life, not this, but this, if it mattered to you, it would honor the sacrifice given and if you feel like you need to honor the sacrifice I've given, imagine the sacrifice Jesus gave because he loves you. Paul's got a lot to say in this first half of this letter. And, and I think he paused to recap because he wanted to let you know, hey, I just said something that was really, really important. Can I recap that? 
Can I make sure that you understand how special you are and how much this isn't just about me, Paul, the one apostle. This is about us doing this together. Please, you matter. I'm in a prison cell. This gospel will not continue if you don't carry it. I'm just one guy. This gospel will not continue into the Antelope Valley unless you carry it. So questions as we land the plane. How's your hope? Have you forgotten how good Jesus is? How's your gratitude regarding your salvation? Is it new? Could you find a way to make it new? Uh, pro tip, if you need to find a way to make your salvation new, just remember that you're really bad at being perfect. You sinned today already, and Jesus still loves you. Here's another question for you. Are you sharing the good news? That's not a request. That's not, a, that's not an opportunity. That's a job description. You're hired. You were the second you put your faith in Jesus. And the last question, I just want to give you a moment in silence to respond to this. Is, is there anything that you feel like after hearing a sermon like this that you need to say to Jesus? I should invite you to take a moment and say that now. My prayer for you this week is going to be that you would not be discouraged, people. That you would receive the peace of Jesus, the peace that Paul says in Philippians passes understanding. And then I'm also going to pray this week that you would be the kind of people that would make commitments to God to share the good news. In fact, I'm going to pray even more specific than that. I'm going to pray this week that every single one of you is given an opportunity and that you see it when it's in front of you to share the gospel of Jesus with at least one person and that you would take it. I'm going to be praying that for you. Jesus, would you do that? Would you give us hope where we're discouraged? Would you give us peace where we feel chaos? And would you give us people to share the gospel to and with and give us opportunities to do that in words and in life? Thank you, Jesus. And together, this is going to be our prayer every week during this series. We've put a prayer together for you to join us uh, on a daily prayer journey. And so this will be our prayer as we conclude our service uh, or our sermon time today. Uh, Sharon's going to come and lead us into our next element of our service. Uh, but I want to invite you to pray uh, this th every day this week. And I'll pray this uh, for us now in this moment. Jesus, thank you for revealing the mystery of God's plan to me. I place my trust in you again today, knowing that you welcome me into your kingdom. Bless those who have lived sacrificially to preach and teach me about your mystery. And use me to be a blessing of sacrificial love to others who might come to know you like I do. And as I live in this way, help me to hold fast to my hope in you and you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.